Hey SEOs and content marketers, say goodbye to crazy spreadsheet mashups and experience unprecedented connectivity between your SEO planning and reporting data. Introducing Audience Key, technology for keyword mapping, content brief automation, and rank tracking that form an SEO strategy system providing unparalleled feedback loops between planning, reporting, and optimization activities. Put your time and energy into strategy, not data upkeep. Visit audiencekey.com and apply for a free trial today. Hey everyone, welcome to Webcology here on WMR.FM. It's the 3rd of August, 2023, and since it's August, um, summer's halfway over. So if you haven't gone outside to enjoy the sunshine yet, shame on you, get outside and enjoy yourself. Techies never get enough sun. So get out there, have some fun this summer, um, get away from your desk. Um, it's been a really busy week. It's an exciting show today. We have, uh, we have a special guest on today. We have um, Seth Price, who's the uh, CEO and founder of Blue Star Digital and also the CEO and founder of Price Benowitz um, Accident Injury Lawyers. He'll be coming on just after the news. Um, before we jump into the news segment, if you're in Canada, like, like, like I am and a number of our listeners are, you will um, soon be cut off of news content by Google and Meta, who are reacting to a piece of legislation called C-18, the Online uh, News Act. Um, Meta's playing this up as the Canadian state uh, censoring the news, when in fact it's a corporate decision on Meta, Meta or Facebook and Google's part to shut off all international and uh, Canadian news to Canadian users of their platforms um, because the Canadian government is asking them to share some of their profits from these news stories with the actual news gathering organizations. For years, I've been screaming at the clouds about social responsibility and tech. One of my strongest arguments was and remains that nobody wants government to start regulating our industries. The way I see it, bad behavior invites the attention that brings intervention and regulation. So if we remember to play fair while still building great things, society has no real reason to screw with us. But just as Craigslist obliterated classified, the classified sections of local newspapers, Facebook and Google have broken the advertising models that support traditional news gathering. The extraordinary power of Facebook and Google to focus people's attention on curated aggregates of content created by those same news gathering organizations has, for the last decade and a half, redirected ad revenues away from news gatherers and into the coffers of the tech giants. The situation's gotten so dire, at least up here in Canada, that a once highly competitive information environment has been consolidated into a handful of national monopolistic, monopolistic enterprises owned by Rogers, Bell Media, or Post Media in order for a very few of those old news gathering organizations to survive. What remains of quasi-independent local news that isn't owned by Torstar or its parent company Nordstar is hanging on by the love and pocketbooks of owners who understand how important their businesses are to, the, to, the, to their communities and to the nation. This is a uniquely Canadian phenomenon. Most massive media companies of the late 20th century have been sold in whole or piecemeal and are now shells of their former selves. A well-informed electorate is vital to the survival of democracy. An independent media is one of many critical components of a well-informed population. There's a reason the government of Canada is screwing with Google and Meta. And a reason Meta and Google have decided to retaliate by cutting all news, regardless of origin, from Canadian feeds. Think about who gains and who loses power when people are less informed 
And when Meta or Google tell you that um, Canada is legislating news out of your feed, that's not true. That's a corporate decision, not a legislative decision. It's much like Nestle um, draining aquifers for bottled water. But in this case, the time and the effort of the journalists is the water. And friends, it's your information environment. Therefore, it's your aquifer. Um, okay. I Thank you for indulging me on that, Christine. This one's really important <laughs> to me because know, this is, is yeah. just happening in Canada now. Um, in the next couple of weeks, there will be no more news in Canadian feeds. Yeah, it's a very tragic moment for, for news everywhere, really, but especially for you guys. So if uh, Canadian... Um, uh, uh, Facebook users or uh, people who, who get their news in aggregate from Google News uh, a couple of weeks from now wouldn't wouldn't be able to, to get the story that um, large donors like Dwayne The Rock Johnson, George and Amal Clooney, Jennifer Lopez and Ben Affleck, Matt Damon and uh, Ryan Reynolds and Blake Lively and Leonardo DiCaprio and Julia Roberts have all raised a whole bunch of money for the SAG and AFTRA Foundation, um, the striking workers who are... Um, basically standing up against the um, AI-ification of their jobs and working environments. Yes, that and residuals, but yes, both of those things. And they all donated a million apiece. So, so see, Canadian readers, if they wouldn't, wouldn't know that a couple of weeks from now because, because of this, the, 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 of, of uh, Facebook and, and Meta cutting them yeah. off. Well, but the... the Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. No, but as we've been saying for weeks, how it goes with ACTRA and... Um, the writers union is how ai is going to be used in other areas of creative or um uh uh, 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 in, uh intelligent fields employment in fact a couple of questions i'd like to ask seth moving moving into the future of the uh, of the show about the use of ai um i'm sure i'm sure he's, he's got fascinating ideas on that so anyway what what do you what do you got on the actor strike well, uh, they are, they have several organizations that people can donate to if they want to help the actors. Uh, and I don't know all the names of them right now because I don't think I have that one open. But they could go and look online and they can look at the SAG AFTRA website or the Writers Guild website and they'll tell you where you can donate to help them. Or you can do something super fun and you can go on to Cameo. And if you've never heard of Cameo, it's where you pay actors famous people, famous influencers, things like that, to leave a video. Like my friend loves Randy Rainbow. And for two years ago, during the pandemic for his birthday, we got together and we got Randy Rainbow to give him a birthday video. And he just loved it. So the actors that are on there, they only make about 70 to $200 per cameo, but it can help them, especially the ones that aren't, you know, big name actors with lots of, you know, residual money still coming in or lots of bankroll um, to help them, you know, put food on their table for the week. It is approved by SAG and AFTRA, so it is not excluded. Um, you, you can be on strike and do cameos. They find they, that is okay. Uh, so, just for, 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 for some of the, 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 the wags out in the audience who I know are thinking this right now, do not take the file and throw it through AI. Just don't do that. <laughs> do what now? Uh, I understand that Adobe is introducing a, uh, an AI with um, – a feature that allows you to upload files that it can learn off of. Oh, great. That's so, awesome. uh, so don't use that to upload your cameo of a star because <laughs> that's exactly what they're striking about. Okay. <laughs> well, I want to go the really, I, I want to get to Seth really, really quickly because this is like having a, uh, an expert's expert sitting in the room. Um, but a couple of quick uh, Google things. 
if you were plagued by Google ad outages this morning, A, you're not crazy. That was actually really happening. You couldn't get into your account. And B, it should be resolved now. Um, advertisers were, were getting faced with notices. Uh, they wanted to go in and check their ad spend. And they were getting uh, notices saying, Google can't complete your request right now. Please reload this page and try again. So you had people just banging on it, reloading, like all morning. <laughs> and, and, and nothing happened, eh? Over and over. Yeah, it should be resolved. That's good to hear, because that would be a very bad morning for anyone working with ads on Google. Um, I really hope some of my clients are listening for this one. Apparently, schema usage is up four times among the top-ranking e-commerce sites. There's an article over at Search Engine Land that is so dear to my heart because I love schema. Um, it is the future. Uh, the future of of, 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 of rapidly distributing information off your website, especially headless websites. And according to uh, Bright Edge, the uh, SEO enter enterprise platform, compared to last year, schema adoption is up four times. That's awesome to hear. Though we, the title is a little misleading. It makes it sound like schema makes you rank better. It's not that it does that. It helps Google better interpret your website because you tell it what the portion of that website is. So if it's a recipe, it's like, here's the ingredients. Google doesn't have to figure that out. Here's the time, here's the temperature. So when someone's searching for something, you are more likely to show up because Google can more um, readily interpret your website and match it to user intent as opposed to guessing what things mean. Well, so, and not just that, it can also help enhance, give you enhanced uh, search listings. So yes. you're- Oh yes, definitely featured snippets and rich snippets. Um, which which likely improves your click-through rate over your competitors' click-through rate because exactly. they're, not, they're not smart enough to use schema like you are. Yes, it does increase traffic. It just doesn't, it's not a ranking signal. That's just a delineation I wanted to make there. No, but it is, it is a absolute fire hose of, yes. of product information, um, especially, yes. again, this is, this is especially with e-com sites um, and headless e-com sites, any way you can get data to Google is really important with a headless site. Yeah, don't make Google guess. If you're telling them exactly what it is, this is an article, this is the author, this is the recipe, this is the ingredients, so much easier for Google to scoop up what's on your page. Okay, so this is an old one, an oldie but a goodie. Um, you know, even a John Mueller gets those like head slapping questions, um, like what <laughs> does the enter button do? There's a lot of new people do? in the industry. <laughs> what does cap blocks do? Um, so keyword stuffing. And this site actually might make a number of older SEOs slap their heads a bit. So how much is too much? You ever, you ever, you ever uh, actually, I have wondered because I had a client two years ago that had put their keyword like a hundred times in their menu and then had it on the page. And I'm like, mm, I know I'm, I have to tell them to reduce this, but like how urgent is the reduction? Like, do I need to do it immediately or can we wait a couple months? But yeah, I was wondering how much counted as too much. I knew it wasn't like, you know, 10 or 20 times, but we do have people that put them in their mega menus. So they think they're doing keyword coolness and then they put it in their footer menus and okay, suddenly so, got 200 mentions on a page. Okay, you know what? I was just rolling my eyes at this whole two to three or 500 times. But you know what? Now that you mention it, that absolutely could happen with like a mega menu. and. Something. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So Yeah, mega menus are a great place where people think they can keyword stuff. So. So yeah, according to Mueller, to John Mueller, um, your keyword stuffing, not when you're throwing it on the page like 10 times, 15, 20 times, maybe there's a reason for that in your, in, in, in your copy. But when, it, when the same word or phrasing appears like hundreds of times, three to 500 times, that's keyword stuffing. 
Um, but again, that's like, makes me want to stop my head. Oh my God, who would do that? <laughs> well, and then look at my well, mega menus. I would. <laughs> <laughs> and then the other thing is with Google, um, they're not necessarily going to do anything that you'll notice. They just won't index your page, like, or they'll ignore the content. Like you could get a, the penalties, but that's rare these days with something like that. Very rare. But you would just find out that the pages are ranking. And why isn't the page ranking? Well, because Google sees a keyword 500 times on your page. And yes, I have seen sites like that. And it's not that uncommon as it should like, be. <laughs> no, again, I have, I have a, uh, I can't, I can't mention the uh, client's name or even the industry, but I can say it's one of those things where you would say, um, name of product, uh, uh, descriptor, name of product, descriptor, name of product, descriptor over and yeah. over and over again. Exactly. Exactly. Um, so I'm, 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 a, I, <laughs> I'm shaking my head at myself because clearly I'm probably guilty of something. <laughs> I do think it's if you get a chance to go to the article, it's on Search Engine Roundtable. Um, do look at John's tweet. I can't repeat it on air, but it is funny what he has in the image below. What did he swear again? <laughs> yeah. Oh my God! That, these, these questions are moving him to madness. I tell you. Yeah, it was. Uh, it was. Uh, you know, a word that starts with F. Everything we're doing, twenty <laughs> mentions. It's just a part of it. It's weird. It's just the top of an article. It doesn't show the rest of the article or a link to it. But it's just funny. Oh, no. Okay, um, we have tons of stuff on Twitter, tons of stuff on, on different AIs. Um, so I can sum it up with Twitter. They did a whole bunch of really stupid things that have probably not been very good for their business. Um, <laughs> real quick, well, we can tell it real quick. First of all, people don't like X, so they're getting one-star reviews on mm -hmm. app stores. Um, the users are in there just hammering away. You know, bring back the bird, what is X, good app gone bad. Those are some of the comments. Um, now, if you're a Twitter Blue subscriber, you can hide your blue check mark because it's become a, it's become a symbol of like being a bad Twitterer. So, if you have it, and my pet peeve, I'm just going to say it again: no one wants to read your 20,000 character blog post on Twitter. Go open a blog and write it there. As soon as I open them, I close them. Um, and then uh, the other thing is, this one's a little bit more serious, and that is, uh, Twitter is suing one of the hate speech research groups. Over claims of they're over their claims of hateful and racist content on Twitter, but we already know that Musk doesn't care about those things. But Twitter X is suing the research group uh, to, you know, basically shut them down. And they're one of the ones who report on things like LGBTQIA hate, anti-Semitic hate, and we need more. We need as many people as we can to do that because they made the API expensive for those people too. It used to be free, so it's very hard to study Twitter now. So the groups that do this are very very important. And I'm not calling it X, by the way. I just refuse. <laughs> <laughs> that's, It'll a, a must, that's a must project from 25 years ago at PayPal. They got him removed from PayPal by Peter Thiel after yeah. this whole thing. So now today he's going to put stock market exchange on the X app. But he has so many SEC violations. I'm not sure I understand how that would get approved, but I guess we'll see. Okay. So, <laughs> I want to. Okay. Twitter news. That's Twitter news. I want to uh, I want to jump the AI stuff, but and 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 get straight into our guest. Um, yeah. You you go with that because we 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 only like fifteen minutes on the news here. Um, it's Blue Shark Week here on Webcology, or at least it's the week we're happy to welcome uh, our guest Seth Price, founder and CEO of local legal focused SEO firm SEO firm Blue Shark Digital. Blue Shark specializes in the business of law, according to to the About Us page on their website. Blue Shark Digital uses the same cutting edge marketing techniques 
high quality technical opt optimization, sophisticated content, authoritative link building, and local optimization that Seth used to grow his own business and has established, and has established itself as a best-in-class digital agency focusing on the legal sector. Now, that business he grew, by the way, is a multi-office law firm. Seth is also founding partner of Price Benowitz, Accident Injury Lawyers LLP, a law firm with numerous offices around the Washington, D.C., Arlington, and Baltimore region. Price Benowitz started with two attorneys and now employs over 40. Blue Shark also has the distinction of having hired one Peter Shankman as futurist in residence. Folks in our space likely remember Peter from his time in digital marketing or from his mega mensch project, Harrow, help a reporter out. We're going to be bugging Seth and Blue Star for an appearance from Peter. So um, listeners, be really kind to download this episode as often as you can. Seth, thank you so much for spending time. Awesome with so to much be culture. here. It looks uh, like hey. we have a ton of overlapping peeps from the PubCon community. It was good to uh, be amongst friends. Oh, man, like. When your uh, PR team reached out to us, I was uh, over the moon happy. I mean, I, I know your name from from uh, just, you know watching conferences and and, re and reading in the in this phase. I wanted to talk to you for a while. I saw Peter Shankman on on your website. I'm like, oh my! I interviewed Peter. I have no idea how many lifetimes ago in New York, and it was one of the nicest experiences. Just so a, a top notch fella. Well, this is, it's, it's so cool to have him part of us. Um, he was a buddy from the late 90s. We were both in New York during the dot-com bubble. I was trying to make my millions having left corporate law, uh, first doing online music and then loyalty programs, eventually law online. And we spent our nights Monday through Thursday. There were parties at six, seven and eight o'clock at night at amazing venues, the amazing food and cocktail. And, you know, he ended up uh, towards the end of this run. I think it was his 30th birthday. He actually got sponsorships and like the, the entire, I think, you know, it was, it was crazy. Uh, like basically the whole party was paid for by other people. And we just had a great time when we thought we were kings of the world world and everything was possible. And to circle back years later, when I'm now in charge of two different organizations and have his insights and uh, future thinking uh, insights for, for our teams, has just been awesome. I, there's so many different angles to approach this conversation from. Um, I want to start with you run two very sophisticated organizations that are really different from each other. You, one of them is a digital marketing firm. And um, that's that's still almost the Wild West in many ways. And the other is a law firm with multiple offices, multiple attorneys, and multiple obligations, which is absolutely not the Wild West. How, how, how different well, is that well, when wearing so two hats? Well, it is, two hats is definitely challenging, but I would almost argue that from a management point of view, um, while there's always things changing and everything you just read and we're constantly pushing the envelope with schema and hopefully not pushing the envelope with keyword stuffing, but very cognizant of de keyword density, et cetera, um, that that to me is almost easier to manage and scale. It's a much more homogeneous grouping of people compared to the law firm, which has now almost 20 years old legacy issues. And it's, you know, when you're, when you're, you know, when we started the law firm, everybody was young and 
happy-go-lucky and then you get married and you have kids and then there's, you know, just additional layers of complications. Culture can't just be, you know, beer pong after work on Friday. Um, it, it takes on other meanings. So in one sense, a brick and mortar law firm in my mind is more challenging. Part of the reason I think I started the digital agency, which makes more sense if you realize it was our in-house digital group that I wanted to give more opportunities to that I spun out from the law firm to create Blue Shark. Um, you know, the idea is if we could do it for ourselves, we could do it for others. And that's exactly what we've done with about 250 clients uh, nationwide doing their digital. So when when did Price Benowitz start? That was what two thousand two, two thousand three ish. It was yeah, it was just a, we're just approaching twenty years um, with with uh, it. You know, it started off with my law partner Dave, who wanted to practice, and my goal was to never practice law. I love the business side, and but he really wanted to, so we decided to divide and conquer. I'd work on the marketing and ops, and he would work on the sausage making or the the legal acumen component. And we built a website, hired another lawyer, built another website, and so on, to the point where we have 43 lawyers in a, four states now um, doing a variety of different areas of law. Um, but I think that one of the things that was sort of helpful in building the agency was that we got the Michigas that goes on in running a law firm. It's, you know, every industry has its issues. Agencies have their issues. Law firms have their issues, you know, entertainment. But law firm lawyers, by definition, are particularly cantankerous. And sort of being able to manage the needs and expectations has been something that I think we've had an advantage in, in that it's difficult enough to provide digital services. It's harder. It's that much harder in our chosen niche just because there is so much bravado and sort of people, particularly as you move up the food chain to the plaintiff space, the injury space, so many sort of cowboys out there that you have to try to wrangle. It's funny because, again, um, I think both Christine and I grew up in what I'd call the madman era of digital marketing um, back in the, in the very beginning when all those fun things were possible. So the law space seems pretty staid and uh, uh, tame by comparison. But I, I, I imagine this is people's lives and money we're talking Ooh. about. So it can get kind of wild. There are different sides to it. So. What, what there is the sort of consume. So most of what we talk about is the B to C business to consumer stuff that God forbid you or your co-host had a bad night, uh, whether it be a, a DUI, an injury, a divorce, a will, whatever it is, those are things that people need. And that's where digital marketing has been. So, you know, particularly SEO has been such a great intersection with um, with what we do. There are some areas um, considered the the uh, sort of up the food chain, but you might call the mass tort space, stuff you see on late night TV for different dangerous drugs. And that space is really the wild west because it's generally not about organic search, but can you beg, borrow and steal? A lot of paid social, um, a lot of very, you know, th there's a, um, a chain of custody, so to speak, of the cases, which can get very ugly. But because of that, there's a lot of nebulous stuff going on. And I think there's been some clawback to it. But the area that I have focused on is more representing the law firms where, in one sense, it's more stable in that generally I'm working with a multi-year asset, the law firm, the old crusty domain, and that things that may have worked. We're talking, you talked in the opening about keyword stuffing, right? So whereas years ago we got the headline, hey, 
5% is the cutoff. You go more than 5%, Google will shut you down on a keyword stuffing. We move down to 1%. We're now essentially at once per paragraph where we basically, Google has put so much effort. And again, it's not the e-commerce space where our space is sort of essentially content focused where the, the quality of content is being focused on so much by all the recent, recent algorithm updates that it's not a question of how much you're using it, but how can it be used relevantly? And if you, if it's even a word, but the idea being that if you stuff something, it's not going to be done by definition, high quality content. And that is what we are so afraid of. We're competing at the highest levels with people with resources where everybody knows what's going on. So you need to make sure Google knows what you're talking about, whether making sure your keyword is used or as, as your co-host was talking about, uh, needing schema markup correctly. All of those things are very, very helpful. But if you abuse the, the keyword stuffing, it's I'm more concerned, not about the percentage at this point, but is this going to seem natural and high quality to Google? And if it isn't, do that at your peril. How do you train that uh, to people? I'm sorry? Oh, Christine, actually, you wanted to jump in and I just stepped on you. I'm so sorry. Did no, you? No, that's okay. No, I was just agreeing. I was just saying that's the most important part. Oh. As uh, Seth was saying, is to make it sound good to your users and natural. And as long as you're doing that, you're okay. Go ahead. How, no. how do you train that kind of diligence into new writers? Like one thing I remember Rand Fishkin said, um, scaling an SEO firm is very, very difficult because often it's the original practitioner's ideas and talents and techniques that they're trying to scale up into a, um, well, into a multi-person practice. Scale. And I, one of my favorite podcasts I ever did was with, was with Rand. And we talked about exactly these concepts, which is, look, anybody, any of the three of us could start a little thing and have amazing service for two or three clients because you're doing all the work yourself. But as you scale and you don't touch everything yourself, your question goes to how do you scale high quality content, which is yeah. one of the banes of my existence, but it's the differentiator that makes us great. So my everybody has their own philosophies. I go with a multi-step multi approach. I, by definition, have identified, and I hope this doesn't anger anybody, that the majority of the writers I come across on a day-to-day -day basis, you think lawyers are difficult. Writers, anybody who sits in their house and writes all day, and that's their vocation, that can take a toll. And I'm getting people after they've done it for years and years on a newspaper or elsewhere. And so I went with, while I have, you know, about 100 people employed as W-2 employees, I have all of my writers, the original writing that's done by contractors, because I want to be able to use them and help them build and grow. But if they decide it's not for them, this is not a long ceremony to goodbye. It's like, hey, next week you don't get an assignment. It was, it's very much done as um on a on a contract basis because we do have very specific guidelines we want followed. And if somebody doesn't want to follow them, that's fine. We just we have a formula where if we take the following steps, we can get that high quality content at scale, but it, it is not for the faint of heart. It takes great writing in the first place with, with, a, with a lot of different restrictions. Then you need editing. And then once the, the content is in place, making sure that your site structure, your schema and all that stuff, you know, make sure that Google, you talked about the user following it. And while that is super important and what we write for, we all know that at the end of the day, if the Google bot doesn't like, and uh, as Christine said, follow correctly 
what you're doing. It's for naught. We we love the user to want it. And that's obviously central. And Google's getting closer and closer to loving what users would love. But I need to make sure that the Google bot doesn't have any red flags and sees our content as highest of in caliber so that we can have that edge against other people in a competitive market. Let's go back to um, uh, the early two case, 2003, 2004. Um, Price Benowitz is is getting off the ground and you're using um, search marketing as a platform um, to, to advertise the firm. Um, you're growing. And you decide to open Blue Shark. Blue Shark is came what two, three years no, after. No, um, no, it, it's, Blue Shark is only about eight years old. Oh, I'm sorry. Blue, oh, okay, that, uh, Blue Shark was 2012 then. Uh, in in that in that area. Um, so how did um? This is something that I think uh, vexes a number of uh, uh, agencies that work with the same type of client in in in, in multiple locations. Um, how do you make original content for law firms across America, many of whom are practicing in the same fields? Well, it's it's, more, it's worse than that. It's that <laughs> you know there's there is a hypocrisy with law firm content origina- origination, meaning um, that the law is the same is the same throughout a state, and for federal laws, the same nationwide. So let's take a state, right? You're in New York State. And the law is the same in Albany, New York, Syracuse, Rochester. And yet, if I want a page of content to rank for each of those, I can't just take an amazing page about New York law and just change the name. That would be awesome. But we all know that that's not going to work. That's duplicate content. We'd be slapped. So we really need to find ways to make original content dealing with courts and um, jurisdictions, we need to be able to differentiate, even though it's not at all different. We need to use ge- uh, geography. We need to use local um, jury differences, court differences, insurance, whatever it is. All those things have to be put in place so that we can come up with something that, despite the law being the same statewide, that the content is unique for that specific jurisdiction. One of the things that um, I think is, is almost like a blue shark mantra is local is the future. Local is everything. Local is where you're getting your business from. Is that specific to the field that you work in or would you say that for, for anyone who does B2C? Well, no, it depends. I mean, for us, it depends on the client. For many of our clients who are doing retail law injury, people are looking, you know, injury criminal, all the things I talked about before, people are searching. They don't want somebody from out of state because the law is different. People are not barred. And what has happened is Google has, over the last three years, really changed the way that it looks at search locally. The proximity update was a huge deal in our space. And when the proximity update hit, um, you know, basically we went from a single law firm being able to own a, a, a geo, an entire metro, right? Let's say DC, for example, you could just have one office and own all the geography around you to almost the equivalent of a pizza order where you would write pizza near me. And you want a pizza within 10 minutes so it's still hot. For a lawyer, you don't really care about that, especially because so many people sign up online. But Google was saying, no, people want local and we're going to give them local. The good news was it was more egalitarian. So if you were not a market leader and somebody else was, it gave you a fighting chance. I'm on the west side 
and the behemoth is downtown, I can pick up search traffic near me on the west side. Um, and what's happened in our strategy has been if you want to own or be a dominant player or pick up more traffic in a jurisdiction, it's going to take a multi-office strategy at this point in order to make that work. Now, Google is sophisticated. You can't just go buying a bunch of Regis offices and putting your name all over the place there. Google knows where the shared offices are. You need to have legitimate offices. But when you do, the good news is you can then gain greater geography, more eyeballs than you could post uh, proximity update. One office before might get you the entire metro. Now you need someone on the east side, west side of town, maybe downtown. And while that's great and a solution, the downside besides needing these, these spaces or some sort of thing that passes the Google test is that you now need reviews in each of these places. Whereas before you could have one juggernaut office and build those, those reviews year after year, you now need to diversify. And we work with our clients on what I call money ball, which I mean, my own concept from the baseball movie book, which is where do I buy value? Where are the most eyeballs that could give you business while at the same time, the least amount of competition. So we're sort of like downtown Atlanta is super saturated, but there are tons of suburbs around Atlanta where you could pick up business. So if you just put your office downtown, there are people that have been spending tens of thousands of dollars a month on SEO for the last 10 years in order to compete there. It's going to be a long time before you compete, right? That said, on the other side of town, we have whether you go the suburban route, you're like, hey, there's not a lot of competition out there. If there's enough population, that is what to me is the best value. You've spent all your time building the authority of the website. Your content and links go towards building an authority that Google sees, you know, as something that they know is a legitimate answer. Add the local Google business profile to it, and that with reviews is going to pop following all best practices. That's all. I think a lot of people would find that fascinating because most people don't work in local and they don't know all those details. And they are always asking questions about like, how do we get local results? Just one question for you, though, a little expansion on the proximity update that happened. Can you tell us a little bit more about it? Because I know there's a lot sure. of people that I mean, don't work I, in local and have no idea. Right, right, right. So as you guys know, um, you know, Google historically didn't tell us a lot. We would just see the rankings mix up and we're like, okay, something's going on, you figure it out. Um, and I you referenced Search Engine Roundtable, which I think does a marvelous job of keeping us up to date. This is one of those moments where we got a tweet saying, hey, the, Google's acknowledging that this took place. And so for local, what has happened in the last few years? Proximity update where they basically were giving us the heads up that we are we are now going going to basically didn't say it this way, but shrink the rate the, the radius of influence of a given Google business profile. Um, now we have spent a bunch of time and done a bunch of case studies, some that were in search engine land and some that uh, were cited by like a Joy Hawkins and others that we basically looked at ways to how do we get some of that cut that back. And, you know, using service areas has been one very useful way to try to gain some of the geography back that you lose when Google shrunk your radius. That's all well and good as long as you don't have competitors out there with a brick and mortar office competing against you because you're not going to beat that. But for areas that aren't well, you know, that, you know, let's say bedroom communities that don't have lawyers in them, that was one way to gain some of that geography back that you really 
you know, we saw people that had single, well, call single office uh, profiles really get hit particularly hard. Again, for people doing e-commerce, this is just not part of your world. But we, you know, so at the same time all of this was going on, on the paid side, local service ads had transitioned from the locksmith and home improvements into law. And so we were seeing all of a sudden Google basically taking over lead gen, where before they were just selling clicks, they're now selling us phone calls. And that was being done within its own local ecosystem. So we, there was a focus on local for when, you know, the change from Google My Business to Google Business Profile, we were, we were being shrunk in our radius there. At the same time, Google was saying, hey, we're not making enough money from clicks. We want our stock market higher, price higher. We're going to now start selling you calls. So when you look at a lawyer, you now have a choice. This is now, these are both about two years old now. You now have a choice. Am I going to click on one of the ones at the top where I'm going directly to speak to a lawyer? It's a direct either click or chat versus am I just, or the next level was, are you just going to continue to buy clicks like the old school? And then the map pack comes. And that's the game that we play in local, which is how do we make sure we get our clients showing paid map pack and organic? Well, when researching um, price benefits uh, yesterday uh, in, in, during the write-up, I, I, I noticed on the Google map how evenly and nicely distributed through the uh, DC Arlington um, uh, Baltimore area uh, price benefits offices were. Did uh, Google's proximity uh, algorithms have a factor in you choosing where to put your offices? You know, for the most part, we've been in business for a while. And so our my philosophy was, I mean, I'll take a victory lap on this, was ahead of the curve for Google. We saw <laughs> where it was going. And so we were sort of anticipating something like this. That said, we did see for DC, for example, and I, I'm happy to um, send these to you post-show, we have these awesome heat maps that showed what happened pre and post update. And for us, we really lost some geography on the west side of town. Uh, Price Benowitz's offices are on the east side of downtown. So we were good where we were and we were good east of the city because there's not much um, legal presence beyond on the east side. But as you go west, it's a central business district. And I almost feel like I'm back to the Mike Blumenthal days where there was a pin in the middle of the city. And that was but it, it, it's clearly not a pin anymore. It's now done in groupings. But the downtown business district, we didn't have a shot at anymore. Um, because there were so many competitors there. Our hope was, could we gain some of the suburban neighborhoods by by working in uh, service areas and trying to gain some of the areas beyond the central business district? And what we've seen in larger geos, let's say take Houston, for example, that Houston used to be one pin in the map using the Mike Blumenthal like um, jewelry example, if you ever followed him from the early days, he was the grandfather of this stuff. Absolutely. Um, right. So that was, the, he had his jewelry store and they looked at the center, city center. You wanted something, you put city center. Now Google was looking at it at, at a geo like Houston. There's a downtown, but there's almost like slices of pizza pie going around the city with different uh, with different uh, neighborhoods. And even if you living there, don't call it that neighborhood. Google may identify something as a community, and then they are now looking to service that with, you know finding relevant answers like what's the closest pizza in you know in this neighborhood outside of Houston and that's where 
putting those suburban offices has been a game changer because we're able to pick up that geography. And again, it's not done blindly. There's a lot of there's a lot of thought that goes into it because if all your competitors already have a suburban office in that place, you're fighting that same uphill battle. But if you can sort of find territory with the most population, the least competition, and depending if it's a fee for service, you might need a level of affluence in order to be able to afford your services. Each of those factors goes into where we'd want to set up shop and have somebody open a remote office. What about for a smaller practitioner who can't afford to uh, to open multiple or satellite offices? Um, is there a way that they can compete against a medium to larger uh, firm? I would argue that if you really had no resources, it's not putting your main office downtown. I'll give you an example. Um, you know, if it, the that you may be putting boxing yourself in to place your office where there are juggernauts that are spending money and have built hundreds, if not thousands of reviews. If you're going to have one office, make sure that it's in a place that gains visibility. There's another piece, and this is, again, if I'm boring you with local, I apologize. but Not at all. We, we get stuff where, so let, let's say Jim decides to open a, a presence online. If somebody else does the same type of law in your at your street address, Google will only show one answer in the map pack, they're gonna suppress anybody else. So if the three best criminal defense lawyers are in the same building, only one is gonna be shown in that map pack. Now, if somebody else is doing a different area of law, that doesn't apply, but that suppression means that we have an extra hurdle to do that we can't just put ourselves where everybody else is. If there's an immigration office building across from the immigration office, that may not be the right answer for you. And so our job is to figure out where can we get that visibility? And that may, in fact, not necessarily be the most logical place because it's already saturated. So what I would say is, depending on how small somebody is, if you really have zero resources, wherever your office is, don't put your office in a building with a juggernaut because you're just going to get suppressed. And if you're already in a saturated downtown area and you're going to have one office, make sure you put your office in a place that visibility is possible. And what I would say is it doesn't have to be super expensive. I mean, you, these are things where, you know, you can in, in, in a small town, you know, you can get an office for $500. It's not crazy money. And the idea is, can you put something that's that, and I always say to people, it's a three-pronged test. You need to pass Google's verification, which is not nothing anymore. That's getting more and more sophisticated. They used to do a phone call with a code, then they went to a postcard, then it was pictures, now video, and sometimes now live video. So there's a whole to do, right? Because fraud, they, look, have a good thing. The reason we can't have nice things is people do stupid <laughs> things. That's <laughs> for sure. Then you don't want it to be a bad user experience. It shouldn't be a tattoo parlor or an auto place. If you do that, somebody's going to walk in and say, what's going on? And then finally, you don't want to anger the bar and have something that's misleading. Most jurisdictions have a misleading concept. So our goal is to make sure, and my term is put a pin on the map that Google likes, the consumer likes, and that, that the bar is not going to disbar you for, that allows you to build your business. And this, look, there are plenty of people, this may not be what Google wants, but there are doctors that have a surgery center, but meet patients all in the region to have a consultation. Right. You could sit down and talk to a doctor about what you want to do um, and that 
what we want people to do is basically comply with those areas, but to gain the visibility with the final component, which is so important, which is you could do all of this, but unless you get the reviews to fill that beast, you're not going to compete. We talked about Google signaling stuff. We finally got verification from Google. They don't tell us a lot. 10 reviews is a magic number. Until you hit 10 reviews, you're naked. They don't say it that way. But 10, <laughs> the, the marginal benefit beyond 10, it, there's like it's a huge threshold. So basically, just like you read, you know, search engine uh, roundtable and all the publications, see what is Mueller saying, we're doing the same in our own little micro world, trying to figure out where we can get an advantage for our clients. Well, I think that's all really fascinating. I know a lot of people know very little about local and local has so many details like Google doesn't tell you like 10 reviews or like you just said, you can't be in the same building. I was curious though, when you say get a different office outside where the juggernaut is, how far away do you need to be to pick up that listing? I'm sorry, how far away from the, I'm sorry, from the what? On the juggernaut, you said like you don't. If you have the, the, it, it, the same it, juggernaut, like the answer, it depends. It's all depends on where the competition <laughs> is and where you know. So you know there there are certain generalizations, but if you're in Manhattan, for example, where there's tons of people, it's going to be much much smaller. The advantage you can get by being outside of downtown is on one side of you there may be nobody. Whereas you're competing harder going downtown and there's plenty of population as you expose yourself to the far side of the city. Is this unique to lawyers and professionals or is this for anybody who has a, a I mean, the, the proximity update is really is really for anybody. Lawyers are generally the, the test ground. It's no different for a dentist or anybody else. Um, but lawyers are very often ground zero for good and for bad, right? We, we, they lawyers have the resources to push the envelope. So we see much more. And frankly, in the legal space, search is so powerful. And I, let's take criminal defense for a minute. God forbid, Christine, one of your friends got a DUI tonight. They don't really want to go telling their friends and their, if they have a general counsel, it's one of those things that being able to search directly is awesome. Let's say for a family lawyer, it's 50 50. Some people are going to tell their girlfriends, but there's a lot of decisions that go on before you tell anybody in your world that you really might be making a move in your marital status. And therefore, a high percentage, even if it's not everybody, we're going to look. And then there are areas that are weaker, like trust and estates, where many people go through their financial advisor or maybe a family law attorney, and they're going to get referred. But a certain number of people are like, you know what, I want to get somebody away from my inner circle. So it's a much smaller percentage, but much, much less competitive. So when I talk about um, areas of practice, let's just say we talk about the general ones like personal injury, DUI, landlord, tenant, things like that, um, real estate. How much would you say the their online presence brings in for business? Is it like I, on, know, on average, generally speaking? Not and, and like it's, again, I, it's all all over the place. There's all sorts of of, of meaning, you know. Depends on how many lawyers you have, how much you're spending on marketing, where you are, all those things. But what I'll say is my 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 personal feeling is that I always look at things like the plaintiff space, the personal injury space, sort of the top of that pyramid. They spend the most, they see the most, criminal, family, that's sort of the next tier where there are tons of people searching, um, maybe immigration and then uh, trust in estates further down. And then as you leave the B2C space, it, it drops off entirely. Like we don't do a ton of work in the B2B 
legal space. If you need, a, you know, if you guys are forming a, uh, an entity, if it's going to be the Christine Jim, so, you know, LLP, uh, you, you want a lawyer more likely than not going through a personal referral and not just Googling it. So we, we sort of, it is much more, without giving you a hard number, it's much more impactful on the, um, up that food chain of injury criminal family compared to further down that food chain where trust in estates or landlord tenant, there are exceptions to every rule and what the laws are. That's why I can't give you an answer. There's a person in California where landlord tenant might be a really high dollar business, whereas in Washington, D.C., there's almost no money to be made as a private landlord tenant attorney. Sure. So it, sure. it's a lot of it's jurisdictionally specific based on the laws. Mm-hmm. You know, a friend of mine just said, hey, what's going on with the law? The Lemon Law advertisers in California have exploded. There must have been a change in California in the Lemon Law, because for us, you know, most states, there's no money to be made representing people with Lemon Law, with the Lemon Law. Whereas once there's a powerful law passed, people are like, "Okay, I can make a buck. I'll start advertising for it. Uh, I kind of got a variation on Christine's question, except this time it's which a marketing venue, AdWords, um, regular organic, or um, Google Business Profiles. What what do you what do you reckon is drawing the most traffic? I mean, look. So from the organic side, Google Business Profiles is very dominant. It has the reviews there. It has great real estate in the middle of the page. Um, that is really our long term ROI for clients for local search. That is very very important. You could be number one organically, but without the three pack, you're going to be in trouble. Um, On paid search, the clicks and legal have gotten stupid expensive. And in some markets, it's upside down. You're working for Google. I don't love it. Again, it depends. It's an auction. So if you have competitors, it's higher. If you don't, that's why the LSAs have been so powerful, particularly in the plaintiff cities, the personal injury space, the clicks got so expensive that there are places it's, it's literally upside down and you can't, you know, it, the, the cost per case is so incredibly high using clicks. The calls are amazing. You just can't get our game. If I say to people, I could spend a million dollars a month, you do it. You'd go get a loan and pay for it because it's so incredibly valuable that you would make money. Whereas there are just not that many calls to be sold. And Google, I, I equate them to a crack dealer where they're sort of giving you some, getting you addicted to it and then saying, oh, we can't sell you enough of this. We'll, yes, we'll sell you some clicks because you still have that insatiable appetite. Okay. Um, I know you have a hard stop in just a few minutes and we have a thousand more questions to ask. Really quickly though, um, Google Business Profiles has a gajillion and one features that uh, people can use to you know enhance the, 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 their profile. And most people don't. What don't they use that they really ought to be using? They're all look, our answer is everything. You know, you talked about schema before, and schema for us, super important. It's free, right? You tell people, you tell Google, here are my reviews, here are my art. It's all that stuff. And again, I don't care whether you say it helps rankings. Obviously, it doesn't matter. More people coming to your site, good. Whatever, whatever methodology it is, because they're see Google likes what's there. You're giving Google information. The Google business profile is essentially the Google website. If they had their druthers, none of us would have websites. We would all go off the, the Google business profile, right? You see that I'm already booking flights and, and hotels directly from my interface. 
right? Where you're never, where you're basically making your buying decision on hotels directly from the Google um, interface. They want everything there. So when posts were coming in, we started testing it. We put posts there. We got free real estate. It was, then it started showing up. It just got minimized. It looks like they're not as excited about posts now. Great. I was one of those people. I don't know if you guys were when Google plus was a thing, right? Way back in the day. Yes. I had tens of thousands of followers. It was awesome. If that had been adopted, I would have been set for life. Instead, they pull back. But I was there because Google, if Google's giving us something in the, in the Google business profile, hours, chat, like if they're giving you the ability to chat, you better respond to the chat. You know, we're, we're seeing this. So everything they give you, our, our attitude is if Google gives us something, whether it be schema, whether it be Google business profile features, the answer is yes. I'm playing at such a competitive field. I got to make sure we're hitting this hard on every level and that a lot of this stuff doesn't take a level of sophistication. As Nike says, you just have to do it. It just has to be done. Okay. Are you going to be at PubCon this year? Um, I, I believe my colleague, Nalini, I spoke last time. Nalini will be speaking on local search this time. We, we sort of tag team it. Okay. I'm, I'm, I'm just asking the really fast questions because I know you got to be out of here right. in less than less than 60 seconds. So if people want to want to um, read your opinions, read your ideas, or again, I mean, you personally, where are some of the venues that they, that they might be able to come I mean, across you? I, you know, it, we, we have a lot of information on Blue Shark Digital. It's Blue Shark without an E, but I'm very accessible. You know, I'm, I'm all, I'm on Facebook. Uh, feel free to chat me. Um, and I, this is, this is to me, I'm passionate about this. This is not about an interpersonal sale. Nobody listening to your audience in this audience is, is our buyer. Like at PubCon, I go because I enjoy geeking out, not because there's a single lawyer client to be had. Um, it is just, you know, when you sit around smart people who care about the same geeky stuff you do, it's kind of a high. Yeah, that's my favorite thing. <laughs> been doing this for 17 years for exactly yeah. that reason. Exactly that reason. It's the reason I go to conferences. Uh, Seth Price, um, CEO of both uh, Blue Shark Digital and uh, Price Benowitz, um, Personal Injury LLP. Thank you so much for spending part of your afternoon with us on Webcology today. Um, I really look forward to meeting you in person, and we will be bugging you about Shankman. Yeah, no, no problem. <laughs> he, is, he is one of the more generous people. I will, I will make that happen for you. That would be um, amazing. Thank but, you. And then you know what? Please give our regards. Um, it's been it's been a long time since I've seen Peter in, in real life, but it was a really, really excellent, excellent experience. But uh, Seth, this has been a lot of fun. We're gonna have to invite you back on again. Thank you so much. Thank you, guys. Okay, be Thank well. Thank you, Seth. That was great. Friends, that was Seth Price, CEO of uh, uh, Blue Shark Digital and uh, Price Benowitz um, uh, Personal Injury LLP. Um, that was that was that was great. That was that was an expert's. Again, yes. One of the fun things about this show is, yeah, masterclass. That's what I was looking for. Yeah. Having people of that level come on, eh? Yeah, it's a masterclass on local because I do local from time to time. I dip in and out of it, so it's nice. I just got the entire update of everything I need to know about local. Should someone ask me to do it again? <laughs> so well, it's I mean, amazing. It's, it's great, great, great amount of information. I've spent the last four years pretty much um, immersed in corporate technical like just deep corporate technical. And there's so much, I mean, local just sounds so much, so much more competitive than uh, the stuff I'm dealing with. And I'm dealing with like name, with like name brand corporations. Well, the other thing too, that is so important about having someone on, you know, talk about it is in corporate technical, which I do a lot of too, at least Google now has Google docs. Like I know when we were coming up, there was nothing mm -hmm. we just had to talk to each other, but now they have Google docs. They tell you how to improve your CWVs and things like that, your core vitals. But in local, it is really hard to get, detailed information unless you talk to someone who does it all the time so knowing like 
not in the same building and that you need 10 reviews and those kind of details are so important from someone who does it all the time to people to know about. Did you, uh, did you catch Seth's shout out to Mike Blumenthal? That made me really happy. Mike was one of the originals in the local space, one of the original writers and thought leaders. Oh, and yes. obviously yeah. him and Seth have, um, have, have, have spoken because uh, Seth mentioned him warmly and uh Mike's a friend of the show. He's been on Webcology a couple of times years ago. Um, and, you know, again, it's, it's negligent that we haven't had him on uh, since. But um, it was it was really cool to hear the uh, to hear the shout out. Um, but again, Seth has been in the Seth has been in the game as long as any of us have, really. Eh? Yeah, I'm actually I actually started I was second uh, second generation or third generation. So you brought me into the game, really, back in the day. Well, Again, with, with with Blue Shark may have only started like uh, uh, ten years ago or so, but he was um, doing work with uh, with Price Benowitz oh, yeah. and, 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 and 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 marketing Price Benowitz. And I could, um, there's a number of professionals in our industry who actually came. They were dentists, they were doctors, they were veterinarians, or whatever, and they found that through marketing their practices, um, it was they found something that. I don't know, sparked a passion more than their original fields did. And yeah, I think yeah. we're all really blessed for that. Very much so. I, and one of the most interesting things I think about the SEO field is almost nobody gets here by like school because there's not even now there's barely any classes. University of Las Vegas here does not have an SEO course. I come down and speak for marketing classes to teach a little bit about it. So uh, the fact that people find this profession by loving it, basically, is uh, pretty cool. So that's that's pretty awesome. And that he was able to turn it into not just SEO, but this, you know, the law firms and to have that kind of presence is, is pretty impressive. So that's great. Also, also to have that kind of organizational patience. My God, I have a, I have a hard enough time running one company. <laughs> I know. Running <laughs> two. Oh my gosh, you got to love running companies. <laughs> yeah, I have a hard enough time making suffer for God's sake. <laughs> <laughs> On a good day. Same, same here. <laughs> okay. Um, Again, Seth Price was our was our guest. He was a huge amount of fun, and we have gone full clock here on Webcology. So um, on behalf of Christine Schackinger from Sites Without Walls, this is Jim Hedger from Digital Always Media. Um, you know what? That, that, that interview is the reason why we do this show. That was so much fun. So friends, um, be well, rank well, be kind to each other. Um, don't get too wrapped up in all that weirdness over at X. It was probably silly to begin with. And we'll <laughs> talk to you next week. Stay well. Bye, everyone. those of the guests and hosts and do not necessarily reflect those of webmasterradio.fm's management or sponsors. Any rebroadcast or redistribution without authorized consent of webmasterradio.fm is prohibited.